It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 12, Episode 2, Becky's Day. In this week's episode, we heard from two of Becky's good friends, as well as her manager at Denny's, who gave us the very beginnings of our breakdown of her day. I'll tell you now, as we're moving forward, we've got more witnesses, and we've got more information about her day coming. You all had some amazing comments and questions uh, in the on, on Twitter and Instagram and on the Facebook fan group. Uh, that have really you know helped me to dive deeper into uh, this whole Becky's timeline situation and her going to work and whatnot. Um, so we've got a ton of questions from you guys. I got Zach in the studio. We've got, of course, the talented Janet Varney. I don't know why I didn't say you were talented. I got, no, I got <laughs> hosed. I got so hosed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, these guys are here. And uh, right after a break, we'll get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are following up on episode two of season 12. It is Becky's Day, and we had a lot of really smart, really great questions from the listeners. We also have some questions that I think kind of date back more to the first episode that we also want to make sure we cover um, since they are Mm -hmm. very much still relevant. I will quickly say, uh, and Zach, I'd love to know your thoughts on the episode, but um, the most shocking thing to me about this episode was that you described 95 degrees as a beautiful day. That was very upsetting. It is. Uh, that's a very hot day. I would not call it, it beautiful. Well, it, was, it was 35 degrees here when I wrote that. So I, it seemed I like figured. You know, a nice thing. Yeah. I figured. 95 is too hot. But Thank even, you. But for the desert, in, in all reality, like it seemed like – because it can be well over 100, right, yes. in the summertime. Oh, for sure. It's like – is it a dry heat? Is that a, a thing? It's a very dry that's heat. That's bullshit. It was a wet cold here that day. So yeah. the 95 dry heat sounded good. 95 dry heat is a lie. <laughs> I've been I've been in the desert it, when it was yeah. 114 in dry heat and it was You're still yeah, you're still going to sweat and feel like you can't breathe, so it's it doesn't yeah. It, you just dry off faster, that's all. Uh anyway, so to the more relevant, pertinent and intelligent things that came out of uh the feedback from our listeners for this episode, um I'm going to try not to jump around too much, but uh the first question 
is just a general uh, question or statement about Janelle. This comes from Nicole. She says, uh, my question is about Janelle. Bob, prior to playing her police interview for us, you made a comment about Janelle being in denial about Becky being at home the time of the fire. I'm wondering where that came from. I asked because in the interview, she refers to Becky in the past tense immediately and consistently. It seemed as though she knew for sure that Becky was deceased. Thanks. That was something I noticed as well, because Claire mm-hmm. did not do that. And I was just curious. In the beginning of the interview, there's, you know, obviously I couldn't play the whole 40 minute long interview during the time when they're taking like her name and her phone number and her driver's license, all that, all that information. She's asking the, the, the officer, she's like, are we like, are you, are we sure that it was, that it, that it was her? Like, did they have the bodies been identified? Are you sure she was there? Is her car like, and then, and the cop is like, not. Like to me, like over the, I understand they're trying to keep information close to the vest, but, but he is literally, he's like, no. And they, they did know for sure at that point that it was Becky, I think, or, or pretty 99%. But he's like, no, we don't know anything yet. We don't know it. it, it and so it kind of left her with it. It seemed to me like he was trying to leave her with a, with a hope that, well, maybe she's not dead, even though Javier had been up to the scene that day. And had shared information with them. He saw the body bags coming out. Um, we learn all that later, but he was still, yeah. So, the, so the denial was: is there a possibility she wasn't there? And he's like, uh, maybe. Yeah. But are they trying to try to get something out of her? Because she does in the statement that she's talking about, which I found absolutely absurd. At some point, she says that she thinks Becky could have done it. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a lot to there potentially is a lot to talk about about this uh, interview, not the least of which is the amount of dangling things that that cop did not ask about that she made vague statements about. I was stunned, stunned by the amount of things that he just sort of bulldozed over and went and asked about something else instead. That's like a recurring theme that I found as someone who's trained to do interviews. There, some of it were these, but and some other ones you're going to hear coming on the road is these. All of these officers are really bad about interrupting someone. Like what you like, you're you're trained to leave space and let someone talk and just let them spiral and just listen. And there are oftentimes you're going to hear where where someone will start to be like, yeah, so I talked to her this week, and then we went to here, and then and then they'll interrupt them and be like, so what time did you talk to? And I'm just screaming at my computer, like, no, let them let let them finish what they were saying. See where this goes before you you interrupt them. But yeah, to your point, Zach, I think that was, and you notice the cop was not interested at all Mm-mm. in what she was saying. He knows what the crime scene looks like, but I, but all they know, all Claire and um, Janelle know, is that there was a fire and bodies were found inside. You know, the one thing that kind of struck me, and maybe I'm completely off base, but by listening to her, and I've kind of seen this before in personal stuff, is I almost wonder how close Janelle actually was, or if she was just somebody that wanted to be important in the case. She was, I mean, I was told by Becky's friend when I talked to Kim um, Kim Ellis, mm-hmm. she said like Janelle was like one of her absolute best friends. Cause, well, I'm, you say that, but then in the interview, she also says that she didn't talk to her. There was a big time period where she didn't talk to her, and she just kind of came back into her life, and she didn't really know. Right. I I don't know. It just it hit me strange because I've seen other people do that where they want to interject themselves to to feel important about themselves. Well, she's really young too. I mean, it also must have yeah. seemed so surreal, and maybe that's why she put it into the past tense because you know we true crime fans 
we all know that sometimes a big deal is made about whether somebody refers to someone in the present tense or the past tense and all that. So I feel like we've sort of been trained to listen for that. Um, and I wonder, it might have been a thing like, you know, how so many people go through stuff like this. And they said, it felt like I was in a movie because that's the only point of reference they have. And yeah. it's almost like you're playing a part in a movie. If you're in shock, perhaps she was like almost feeling like she was playing a, a role in a movie on, in some kind of absurd way. Does that make any sense? It it does. And and to be clear, you know, the, the whole thing with the past tense, that that is something you definitely want to look for when, say, you have a missing person or like no one knows that something has happened. If someone starts referring to somebody in the past tense, you start to click like, oh, they might they know something we don't. In this case, it's not quite that because right. she'd been told throughout the day that Becky was gone. And then you know, it was just this cop was just, you know, she's like, is there any hope? And he's like, you know, could be. But obviously, still in her mind, it was it, the the issue had been had been settled already. But I found that it, it definitely her saying that, I don't know, could have been Becky for all I thought, for all I know, was crazy to hear her say. But then it got me thinking, it's like, are we like, have we completely messed this up? Could this have been like a murder suicide? And then I started thinking through scenarios and it's like, I just can't figure out there's there's I, we haven't done the crime scene yet but there's no guns found near either of the bodies in the house so the, you know if it was a murder suicide like somebody like you know one of them lit the house on fire it would have had to have been vicky because because uh john was shot in the chest with a shotgun you can't really do that uh yourself but the vicky was shot in the head with a 40 cal so she could have but there was no gun found by the body so it's like well maybe becky could have but there's also no gun found by her body surely she would have just burned her I, I don't see a scenario where it works, but but I think it does go to show that there were still a lot of unknowns with the friend group at this point because they were thinking – I think when she said Becky could have done it, the thought at that point was simply that they had all died in the house in a fire. Yeah. Oh, and didn't realize that Becky was outside. They didn't know that she was in a wheelbarrow. Okay. They definitely didn't know at that point. Gotcha. Uh, well, that, that – yeah. That was Ashley. Ashley had commented that her initial theory is that it's – that it was all internal, that some sort of conflict happened and the reason – we can't figure out a getaway is because it was more of a murder, suicide, murder, murder situation. Maybe she walked in on something. Becky walked in on something in a fight uh, within the family broke out and had wondered if that was considered a theory. So you've sort of answered that question. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I, I do want to be clear. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it can be 100 percent ruled right. out, but I just right now can't. You're piece not together a scenario where that works. Gotcha. You know, one thing you you mentioned, you talked about the friend group, which kind of sparks my interest into. You know, the, it seems like the police went directly towards Becky's friend group. And they is it just because it was an easy route because they didn't have a lot on John and Vicky? Or did they, I mean, was there something there? It just seems like they went straight to Becky's group without really doing a lot behind the scenes it's, for John and Vicky. It seems like they viewed, in, in, their, in their theory of the case even later, was that they viewed Becky's body in the wheelbarrow. As the, as the, like she was the target, like they were, like she was, I don't know if she was on display or she was the first to die or she was the last, whatever it was. For some reason, they zeroed in on her and then they start getting leads right away. And then they just, then the blinders come on. So in these first couple of interviews, we hear, well, she was supposed to be hiking with her boyfriend or her ex boyfriend. And they're like, oh, cool. Well, someone's supposed to be there. That's where they honed it in. But she said so much other stuff that he didn't say. I mean, I wrote I just like wrote a litany of questions. And I don't think anyone in looking through the comments, I didn't see any 
comments about the interview itself and about the questions that went unanswered or unasked, rather. So I just would throw out there, I, I just wrote down, what do you mean no one liked her at school? Can you be more specific? Was this still an issue recently? Could you elaborate on what right. you mean by her depression or a mental thing going on? How did that express itself, in your opinion? What do you mean you didn't know what to believe about some of the things you heard about her family life at home? Tell me more about how she's, quote, different in the head, end quote. Like, she said, I heard things about her family. I didn't know how her family life was. You can't always believe everything. I didn't know what to think about some of the stuff I heard. It's like, hello, her whole family is deceased. What, what do you right. mean you don't know what to believe? What did you hear about her family life? It just never yeah. got asked. Anyway, oh, no I really got emotional. Sorry. Was, <laughs> that's all right. It just was but, shocking uh, to listener, me. I think it was. I think it was Jeremy Wright. One of our listeners had posted on the fan page something similar. He was like, "These interviews are pathetic. Like, why are they? They're almost juvenile. The way the question. Because yeah, like every question you just asked should have been asked. I think. Yeah. And and now now Oof. keep in mind too. Like we're at the very. There's already people. You know, every season there's always people that are trying to find whatever they can find and try to jump ahead. Um, which you know there's there's a reason we do the the way things the way we do them. There's not much available for people to do that with, but people have, you know, have already jumped ahead. And, I forgot where I was going with this, but, but, you know, people are trying to like jump ahead and in the case. We'll get there, but there are more. We're at the very beginning. Like we've had two episodes. We've given the very basics of Becky. We're not even done with Becky's timeline. Okay. Yet. Um, so there's more coming, but Claire and Janelle, they're all interviewed more later as time goes on. Kids, remember. It was eight years before there was an arrest made. So we've got a lot to get through still. Yeah, that's that in and of itself is kind of amazing. Um, okay, so let's jump into kind of revisiting the phone call to her manager and the forgotten shirt a little bit more towards last week's episode, but mm -hmm. definitely still worth discussing. Jesse says, good day, pals. Do we have any additional details regarding her drive to work, work records showing scheduled shifts? Was the interview with her manager in person or over the phone? The call to the manager about returning home to get her work shirt is so intriguing. Um, and then Lauren asks a similar question. Do we have any cell phone records from Becky that day? Calls, texts, etc. Um, we'll start with those. Yeah. So uh, regarding the cell phone records, we're gonna, there's a whole bunch of cell phone evidence. There's very Anand Syed-esque in this case that we're going to get into down the road. Uh, the, the, the interview was over the phone. It was done seven, seven years, years after the fact. They were so we don't have her rec her schedule her record. It was confirmed there were other interviews, but I I want to say like this is doing things the way we do them and breaking down small elements at a time and and tapping into the crowdsourced nature of what we do is is what I love about this. So here I am I'm I'm writing the episode I'm digging through this massive police file going through a timeline and I come across this you know there, there's a folder buried within I mean there's thousands and thousands of pages. Uh, and there's like, oh, there's, it says Denny's employees. And then I listened to this one from Eddie and it was like, oh shit, like she was on her way to work. And so I, you know, I put it together and it's like, bam, put it out there. And then at first I was almost surprised at the response. You know, I was thinking people were like, well, obviously Becky wasn't the target because she wasn't supposed to be there. And the immediate response was. Um, was skepticism by everybody. They're like, well, we don't know that she called on her cell phone. She could have called from the house. Maybe she wasn't even going. She could have been like, her friend said she like, like all these little details. Right. And that's, and I just want you all as listeners to know how big of a part you are in my process is to take a small piece of something, a, a topic like this and to put it out there 
And then I'm, and then start absorbing your feedback. And so that feedback drew, you know, obviously had me digging back in deeper and deeper and deeper, looking closer at this. And I almost have a a whole different, I I don't know where all these questions are going, but there's a lot. Well, one thing I want to ask, and, and, and this, this is something for the listeners. I want to know if we have any listeners or if any listeners know anybody who worked at a Denny's around this time, around 2006. And I say that because. And I'll, and I guess I'll try to look through the YouTube chat and see if anybody has any comments about this. People who have worked in restaurants, even. I looked up. So Becky was found. You can't see this from the redacted photos. Becky was found wearing her body. She had on uh, capri blue jeans on, like rolled up to you know the, the jeans that came down just below her knees, and she's wearing white like skater type shoes. The upper body, I looked at every single photo, every autopsy photo, everything to see if there's even a stitch of cloth left so I can identify if that if she was wearing her Denny shirt. There's nothing left. I don't know. Uh, people ask, I know about what's in her car. We're going to get into that when we get into the crime scene stuff. But the thing, I th- what, what occurred to me with everybody questioning whether she was actually going to work was when I looked online, if you look at like Indeed and things like that, and you can look at some old like job postings, they have a dress code for Denny's, and the dress code is, Everyone wears black pants and black non-slip shoes. Hmm. I, I, I've tried to find information, but I haven't found anything specifically from 2006. But that seems to be the reason that, – that seems to be what the dress code was like for, for as, as, as long as I've been able to find record of online. And so my, my question is, if anybody knows what did the Denny's employees wear back then, if that was a thing. Because she, then that would mean she's not dressed for work. I'm certain they're not allowed to wear blue jean capris. But did they have lockers? Was that you know some workplaces have lockers where you can change your clothes when you get to work? You know. Yeah, and Zach was saying earlier that he knew people that worked in in restaurants that that would change at work. Yeah, they would change before or afterward. Yeah, but also, I mean, yeah, I guess just to draw a line or a little circle around the seven year thing. Um, how confident are you that he's even remembering the right day? You know what I mean? That Eddie, the manager, uh, is remembering. Confident in that, okay, because there are other manager interviews. Okay. that that are also confirmed that you know that that she was a no show, no call. She never showed up that day. The morning manager, you know, said you know, yeah, they got there and she had, she hadn't showed up the night before, so she was definitely supposed to work, right? And we have every friend. Uh, that we talked to says that she told them she was supposed to work. So we know that was that was the case. But then there's the this call to the manager. It's it's hard to know. You know, I I had said in the episode that that it seems like it was probably from the cell phone because it's you know it's 2006. People are calling and 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 Eddie had made earlier in that interview had made a point. To, he never says she called me on my cell phone. He says. That the employees all had my – I mean, it's a point to say they had my cell phone number and the point to say that she called me directly, which I took to mean on the cell phone. doesn't necessarily mean that's the case, um, but there's still a lot of variables up there. That doesn't necessarily mean that that she called from a cell phone. She could have called – there was also a pay phone um, as Pinion Road hits Highway 74 on the paved area where there's still no cell service. Just down the road, just a little bit, there was a payphone there, and I've been told that that was at a spot where her and other people would use if they were out and they needed to make a call. That you know, it was still operational in 2006 because of the fact that there was no cell service up there. Gotcha. Um, she could have called from the payphone, which is still 10, 15 minutes from her house. 
Um, so I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of on the. There, I de- we definitely can't say for sure she called from her cell phone. Maybe she called from the house. That to me, my first thought was, I'm telling him I'm halfway down the mountain and I'm calling from my home phone. Like I'm going to be busted yeah, because I'm going to be late. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff around the phone call that could go a lot of different ways if it is the right night that he's remembering. Um, a lot of great feedback already from the YouTube chat. Um, Mikey points out that, you know, many times people do change when they get to work because their work clothes smell different than their home clothes. I remember my Subway uh, sandwich maker shirt definitely always smelled like onions. I was a sandwich artist. And uh, I never I wished I could have left that shirt at work because I brought it home and the entire house smelled like sandwiches. Um, So so he says that uh, Katie says they wear jeans and sneakers where I'm from in my experience in food industry. Jeans and sneakers are pretty standard, even if the dress code says uh, non-slip shoes, etc. Um, Rena says a lot of people in that age group do change into uniform when you get to work. Uh, so there's the, and then Mikey gets real specific and says, I believe they wore a gray-based, colorful polo and black pants and non-slip shoes. So some early feedback on on potentially changing into your work clothes when you get to work. Um, uh, with that in mind, uh, ro- uh, Rock. Rock says this could be hard to find out, but was forgetting something a common issue with Becky. Was this the first time ever she called into work late because she forgot something and went back home or was late for some other reasons a few times? Her friends did say she bent the truth from time to time. Perhaps she knew there was some kind of issue at home and lied to her manager and said she needed to go get her shirt to cover up something else. Maybe she got a distress call from her mom and turned around to go home and get help or to help. Well, I'll I'll piggyback on that as well, kind of thinking that maybe it wasn't necessarily a distress call, but what if it was just her trying to buy more time? What if she's down in the valley and needs to buy more time with somebody, or she's up at the house and needs to buy more time? Maybe I don't I don't necessarily maybe see the distress call, but I could see the calling the manager to bend the truth to buy herself a little more time to spend with whoever she's trying to spend with. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. There's the, Jason very kind of succinctly said what I think you're saying. A lot of the listeners said which is you know just we have to be careful when we make assumptions too early um you know he says the phone call to the manager you know do we really know if it was a manager's cell phone or the restaurant phone um the caller id thing feels a little up in the air uh so we just can't simply assume it was you know her calling from her cell phone to his cell phone or to the restaurant would really hope to see more hard evidence of where and how that that happened and uh and to piggyback on what we've been saying about that phone call, he also says if at the point of making that phone call, she was already in danger, could have even been that she was co- coerced into making that call. So someone else could have told her to make the call. Karina says the same thing. I just wonder if the call was coerced. Could be that she was being held captive and she had to call for some reason. So a lot of speculation around the phone calls. I don't know if I buy the coerced argument. That's, you know, so she's supposed to be at work at Denny's like, you need to call. I mean, think about what that looks like. You need to call your work and tell them, give them an excuse for you being late so that I can kill you later. That just seems super unlikely to me. Like, why would they even worry about it if they're going to be, you know, she's going to be dead and they're going to be gone before she's supposed to be there anyway. Right. You know, I can't wrap my head around this at all. Like, this whole case is just is baffling to me. Wouldn't there have been a better time or place to kill Becky if she wasn't supposed to be home that night? I mean, it seems... Very unlikely that they're going to try to draw her back. I, that's what that's what's weird to me is I, I just can't wrap my head around it. And if the murder was intended for Vicky or John, 
then Becky just ended up there at the wrong time. It's we have no idea. There's zero information that at least, Bob, you've given us yet. And it doesn't sound like from what you've hinted at there (laughs) that there's going to be a lot of information about the parents. So we don't know what we don't know. I mean, I I have no idea what could be going on with the other two people. All we're doing is, you know, you know who we are. We're listeners who, like you said, we're hungry for information. We want to help. We want to parse out what's going on. And we're early in the case. And so who, you know, we're working with what we have. And sometimes that does create a lot of speculation about things because we don't even know what we don't know about the parents. Right. Yeah. There's very little in there. They and yeah, from what I've seen, they never really dig into it. They they get the blinders on. As soon as they hear about the ex-boyfriend going hiking, they kind of have blinders on. I guess they, I'm they getting really a feeling about in. who might be in prison for this. <laughs> Having not yeah, watched the 48 yeah. hours thing. I guess I'm getting a sense of who that is. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No uh, real quick, I just want to circle back to the timing in the car and Becky's ride and all of that. Jennifer asks, have you seen any crime scene photos of how Becky's car was parked outside her house? Was the position location of her car parked in a way that could suggest that she was sort of running inside real quick? versus she hadn't left yet, uh, which I think is a, a good question. Yeah, it's hard to say. It, it is. I, I also want to respond to Jennifer JB in the in the chat said has a really good point. Says if she was coerced, you'd call in sick, not late. Good point. You know, that makes a lot more sense. Good point, um, good point. As far as the car, so the car is, if you look on the diagram on the website, it is backed in opposite the garage, kind of across the driveway. Backed in, well, I huh? Don't know. Yeah, well, it's like they like pulled into the like to the garage and then backed up and was parked back. But the thing is, there's cars everywhere, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, are we going to find out more about those cars? Because I know Janelle, I helped identify. She sort of helped identify, you know, some of them. I took notes of like, okay, the van might be one of those two vans that was there. The Mm -hmm. Scion, the Infinity, um, the Bronco, maybe. She said maybe that was the stepdad's, and then seemed like there were two extra cars on top of that. Yeah, yeah, and, and Becky was driving her sister's car, right? Who was in J- in Japan? She was in the Air Force, I think, in Japan at the at the time. But yeah, we're gonna get more about the cars, and we do the crime scene the, in investigation. There are there's they detailed the inventory of each of, each of those vehicles, so we're gonna be going through that, and which will drive. And actually, in one of the interviews you're gonna hear this week, there's a pretty good breakdown of, of who had what vehicle too. So, yeah, we're getting into that stuff. Okay, great. Um, I just want to acknowledge in the YouTube chat, Hannah is making some really great observations about the way people talk about other people's um, mental state uh, regarding Janelle and kind of how she was describing uh, Becky. So maybe we'll get deeper into that in a, in a further episode. 
Um, but uh, some some good points there. A lot to dig into. Maybe hopefully we'll be able to get into it in a later episode if there's more information about Becky and and kind of how she walked through the world. But uh, regarding John, the stepdad, with a little bit of information that we have gotten from these episodes, um, Christine asks, I have questions about John. One of the friends said that he sometimes smoked with the teenagers. Was this frequently? Did he supply it to them? Is it possible he was selling? Which kids did he smoke with? Uh, it was said that Becky didn't have a, a lot of friends. Any more information on that? All great questions that the detective should have asked. Yeah. And didn't. You know, he went through the whole, I don't remember if it was included in the clip or not, but he went through the, um, you know, I'm not a drug cop. I'm not here to get you in trouble for that. But I, I need to, I have to ask these questions and you need to know about it. And then I think it was Claire who who said, the, yeah, that he would smoke with the kids sometimes. But that he never expanded on it anymore. Again, it was another. It was never really considered that John or Vicky could have been the target from the beginning. And if it, and if, and if they did think that John or Vicky were the target, they did a pretty terrible job of investigating that because they never even really looked into them at all. Right. Yeah. The uh, the Rachel also does point out um, again. You know, we it doesn't seem like it would make sense for somebody to want to hurt Becky on a night she was supposed to be gone, but it could also be that somebody just wouldn't know whether she should be there or not and still want to do her harm. So that's. That's, you know, that's worth thinking about as well. Before we move on, I want to kind of spitball off of that a little a little bit with, with kind of the three of us. So I think I think there's on its face. So like what we've had in this episode, right? You have every friend saying, both of her friends saying she had to work that night. And then her boss saying she was on her way to work that night and she called me. On its face, it seems like very obvious. She's supposed to work. She left home, got halfway down the hill, calls her boss. You know, if we believe everything that was said, calls her boss, says, hey, I forgot my shirt. I'm going back. Everything points to she just walked in on something happening to John and Vicky. You know, she wasn't supposed to be there. And in fact, she wasn't there. She'd left. But then if we look at, okay, well, what if that, there's so many other possibilities, right? So what if she was lying? What if she was calling from the house phone or the pay phone? Or like Zach had mentioned, maybe she had already left and went to the valley and was hanging out with someone and then was trying to get back home to get her stuff. And she was buying herself some time. What could that look like as far as, yeah, so she's not supposed to be there, but. If what if it is someone that she was hanging out with, which is what you know, the, the, you you'd mentioned earlier, you get the idea. Yeah, I, the ex boyfriend is one of the people that are in prison for this. Um, it, it doesn't take much googling to to find that out. Um, I appreciate you not doing that before we uh, came on. Zero percent googling. Know, so, yeah, <laughs> but so you have the the only way that Becky's involved, right? Would almost seem like it would have to be someone that she was trying to spend time with like if she was if she's trying to buy more time to get to work then presumably that would be because she's with someone she's on the phone with someone or she had spent too much time with someone and now it was too late and she needed to buy herself some time there's so i i think that the i don't think that we can just automatically say she couldn't have been the target because she wouldn't wasn't supposed to be there Right. Because if if she was hanging out with a friend, they wouldn't necessarily care that she was supposed to. You know uh, what I mean? I, I, my I, biggest I, problem is the body location. Dude, totally. That's my biggest problem. I, I, I'm so far yeah. away from understanding the wheelbarrow and how that could have happened. It feels mm-hmm. miles away to me from understanding. In part because who are you if you want to make a statement? How bold and brazen are you that you are going to be turning the spotlights right on yourself? By presenting mm-hmm. something, unless you're a mafioso, you know what I mean? Like, who 
who points at themselves by saying, look right. at this. This is the this must be what happened. It must be someone who's out to hurt this person. When you've created this scenario where all of these people have been harmed, you've set a fire mm -hmm. like I just don't know who that person is. How psychotic, you know, to be maybe I shouldn't have used that term, but that's just very, very bold, especially when it's a teenage girl. You, you would assume if it's a peer that that is just a very very strange decision because it's going to point everything to you. The one thing that I think about is if Becky was the person that was supposed to be killed and it happened outside whatever and, they, and the parents knew that Becky was with the suspect, whoever the suspect is. So the suspect goes in the house to kill the parents because they know that she's with them. Why would you not move the body inside before you... Why, why would you light her outside and light the building on fire as well? That like like I mentioned, I've been to the crime scene multiple times and looked through every crime scene photo a million times. I'm trying. It's one of the reasons I've got Jim Clemente working on it. I'm already working with Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott on another element of the case. Um, I may have them take a look at it too, because I can't. But you you have the two bodies inside. So if you take Becky out of the picture. And I think we mentioned this before in last week's follow up, maybe. But if you take Becky out of the picture and just look at. John and Vicky. This crime makes sense, right? It, it, it makes sense. If somebody came in there for whatever reason, ends up shooting and killing them, and then they're like, oh, I need to cover up my tracks. I'm going to light the house on fire, and hopefully people will think it's an accident. I can, I can wrap my brain around that. Right. But then th the thought behind that behavior is to try to conceal the fact that there was a crime. But then you put a body out in the open where it's on display almost, making sure everybody knows it's a crime. And I, and I don't know how it's like multiple offenders. I, I, think, I think there probably were multiple offenders. You have two guns used in a, short, in a small space in the house. So you'd think already there's indicators there's two people there, at least two people there. Are there three? Is there somebody else that's outside with her? Well, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, we're a long ways away from that answer. And not knowing her cause of death, like, do, do, w did someone just set her on fire while she was alive? Did they punch her and then set her? What is the utility of setting her on fire? I, it's just so awful. And it's it doesn't make any sense. OK, I, let's go. Let's go to Robert, because we've we've been talking about him. You know, Jason did point out again, just to kind of about assuming. And it's a fair point that, you know, just because Robert broke up with her does not mean that he didn't want to still be with her or that didn't he didn't end up wanting to reconcile and that she didn't so it could have turned from you know whatever the reason was that they broke up i know you said that you're going to show that the state made a big deal about how he must have been pining away for her but that you know it, it's it's hard to say with just the behavior of them breaking up that he wasn't he couldn't have still been you know obsessing over her or whatever right Sure, there's a million reasons that that there could still be an issue there. The, the point was to to correct misinformation that's out there, which in the the 48 hours episode or the crime watch, which there's a, there's a couple of online things out there about the case. You know, they they said that she broke up with him and he never got over it. Right, which is just they don't. Not that's true total speculation, if any, at best. Well, it's not even speculation; it's just false. Okay. And that's like, I mean, based on everything, everyone agrees he broke up with her. Right. And he had another girlfriend oh, okay. at, the, at, 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 the, at the time. Now, that doesn't mean there couldn't be a reason why he was mad. Right. But it's just to correct the – because people, again, are always trying to jump ahead to say, well, right. 
yeah, but he was he was really mad at, mad at her for breaking up with him. Just so you know, that's not true. That's yeah. not what happened. Yeah. Uh, and then going into the the Robert story that Javier tells about them potentially going hiking. Uh, Christine says regarding Javier, uh, Janelle mentioned that he stayed with a friend in Pinion Pines recently. Do we know who this friend was and how close he lived to Becky? And it sounds also like he's the one who mentioned the hike with Robert. Was he also the one to mention that Robert had called Becky recently or did that information come from Becky? I think you said the call thing also Janelle knew about directly or Claire knew about directly. Janelle and Claire had both said that that I think that Becky had told them. That he had reached that out. She had talked to Robert. But the only person yeah, who said they were going on a hike together was Javier. Was Javier. Okay. Yeah. Javier told them that. And that so that in that that phase we were in this week, going through these statements, what well, you have two friends that and Javier was there with them at Claire's house, I believe is how that shook out. That you have so in front of all three of them, she says, I'm going home, getting ready for work. I have to work today. And then Javier says the next day after she's dead, oh, by the way, she told me that she was going hiking with Robert that night. Gotcha. And there's all kinds of weird things with, with that because you've got, you know, like I said, it's dark. We it, it would be super helpful if we knew what time she was supposed to be to work. That's one of the things that is driving mm-hmm. me. How the hell the police didn't go to her work and find out when she was supposed to be there and when that phone call happened and when they can track all these things. Because if it's nine o'clock, that's that's a very different thing than if it's ten o'clock. Sure, you know, he says it's, it's it, it could be eight or nine. He goes on to say sometimes the graveyard shift didn't start till eleven. Um, we have other interviews where people say, yeah, I think she usually started work at like nine or ten. So if she was starting work at ten o'clock, and you know, because so it, the 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 Tim saw the flames at nine forty five, at you know, so it, it could make sense if she even if she had left and come back, you know, it's in that window. If she's supposed to be to work at nine o'clock, then she's making these calls, presumably between eight thirty and nine. If she, if it was supposed to be when she was halfway down the hill, yeah, you know that's that's an hour before anybody sees any flames in the house, or if it was, but and if it was, it couldn't be eleven o'clock, right? Because she wouldn't have called and said, "I'm on my, I'm running late," an hour after the murders already occurred, right? So there's a, that would just be super helpful if we had any idea when she was supposed to actually be working. Gotcha. I really want to know more about Javier. I want to hear from him. I want to know more about him. It's just, he sounds like he's very close to the situation, being the fact that he's there with her. That One of them mentions that, that she is, goes like gets off work and goes to his house down in the valley to sleep for a little while. Uh, I think Janelle mentions that at some point they called her like last, the week before from Becky's house early in the morning. So that, and she wasn't sure if Javier stayed there or stayed at his friend's house up there, but they seem very close. Right. So I feel like there's, like, Javier has something we're gonna, to tell I, us. I we're can't hear from wait Javier. for Mike to edit that question so that it gets asked closer to the end of this episode. <laughs> That's, you did so good, waiting, holding that one question for the end, for the transition. But, but yeah, so. Uh, you are going to hear from Javier this weekend. How dare you? Uh, and I, I just remember I didn't answer fully the question before that. So yeah, so Javier had a friend named Nick who lived in Pinion Pines. He lived on Pinion Road, um, down closer to to Highway seventy four. But he was in the Pinion Pines community. He lived up there. Um, okay, so we're going to pretend like Zach asked his question after these questions because he it was such a great real authentic way to get into Javier. But I do want to quickly <laughs> run through 
these remaining questions. I also want to point out that in the chat, a lot of great uh, folks uh, coming up with some, you know, theories to expand on the idea of Becky coming home and just the idea of like, they meant to take her into the house, but perhaps it was too hot. They didn't want to risk their own lives. Um, that it was a situation where, you know, as you've as you've briefly touched on, that it could just be potentially sh- it, there wasn't time or it was too late, it, you know, so they had to kill her separately, but they did not feel like they could, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, get her back into the house. It, in keeping with that, the the wheelbarrow situation, Jenna says more a comment than a question. It, it's possible that someone was standing between the handles of the wheelbarrow and pulling it instead of pushing it. That makes it easier to move a heavier load. So the direction the wheelbarrow is pointing might not mean that someone was headed towards the house with it. And um, I'll just throw this in here as well. Christina says uh, the neighbor witness, Tim, says the reason I say mannequin is because there was no hair deferring, uh, referring to the body in the wheelbarrow. Uh, the picture of Becky in the case file shows long blonde hair. It's hard to tell in the redacted wheelbarrow photo, but is the assumption that her hair was already consumed by the fire. I know that's a kind of a two parter, but I wanted to put both wheelbarrow questions together. Yeah, so the will it's possible that someone would pull the wheelbarrow instead of pushing it, and they would be going in the direction it's facing. They'd be pulling it uphill away from the house. I mean, there's some issues with the legs kind of getting in your way if you're doing it that way, but it's that is possible. But I'll also say there are tracks from the wheelbarrow from out in the desert, which we're going to get into deeply later on. Okay. Uh, but there's 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 a trail from the wheelbarrow up to the point where her body is found in it. And oh. a, that's a whole nother ball of wax that we're going to get into. Whoa. And, and then you, but, but even without knowing that, you got to think, why would they be pulling her body away from the house? If they're going to burn it anyway, why were they pulling it away from the house instead of towards the house? And, and then, or is the wheelbarrow a complete red herring? But how would it be a red herring? Meaning, were they not, it, it's possible they weren't moving the body at all. That the wheelbarrow was just there. Right. And they just threw her in the wheelbarrow. And right. so they had a place to light her on fire or she fell into it and trying to run. Away. We, there's, gotcha. there's just, I'm not saying that's what happened, but there are possibilities with the wheelbarrow that don't involve moving, moving a body. You know, it, it. it could be a red herring in that way. As far as the hair goes, yeah, the hair had been burned. I was one of the, you know, Tim said that, you know, there was no hair that he could see. That seems like it would happen so quickly. Yeah, and it's you know it, it's graphic, but there's actually um, you, you can see in some of the crime scene photos some of the hair down on the ground where it had burned off and fell fell down. But yeah, that's why he said there was no hair on it; it had been burned off. Okay, uh, Debbie says, uh, "Did Becky have two or three sisters?" Uh, she checked out an obituary on findagrave.com, and and it sounded like perhaps Becky had three sisters. That Vicky had a total of four daughters. Any scoop on that? Yeah, she did. She did have a, a third sister. I don't. I don't know anything about the other sister. She's never interviewed. She's not in the police file. Um, there's just uh, Tiffany, who is a half sister actually, and then there's Drew, who is the sister who is in the military and was in um, in the Air Force. Uh, then she did have a, a. The name's escaping me right now. I don't know if she concluded it there, but there there is a third sister that I don't know anything about. She's not in the police file. Okay. Dan, uh, I see your your question in the chat, and I think we had just maybe covered it, but just to just to circle back, uh, Javier was the only person at this point that we know who talked about the hike with Robert. Correct. Correct. Yeah, okay. none right. of her friends knew anything about the hike. It was it, that that came from uh, other than Javier. Okay. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we've talked about this earlier in the episode, but with a lot of hungry eyes and minds ready to go to work, Kristen says, I know this was already asked, but I would also like to know if you will be releasing the entire case file, even if it's bit by bit so everyone can go through it. The more eyes, the better. Yeah, so as we, I mean, this is 12 seasons of this. This the, the process we do is we take a section at a time that we cover on the podcast, and then we release all the related case documents to that section. This is a little tricky in getting some of them out, because the source where I got the the case file, it's, it's a, an unredacted version of it, and California privacy laws are pretty strict, so I have to be very careful about, because I have to do any redactions myself, so I have to be very careful to make sure uh, that they were following all those laws carefully before we post the documents. But yeah, as we as we move along, we'll be putting them out. And you know, every 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 season, there's always a few people that are like, "Well, just give us everything right now." But it but legally, you literally can't. Yeah, I can't just do that. And but but even if I could, even if I had like a redacted file that I've gotten, we release the case file throughout the course of the season. That's our process. That's what's proven to be successful for us. Is we because if, if I if I dump a whole case file on you right now, then while we're trying to really think through and pick apart uh, this phone call to Denny's, you're working on you know half the group is is jumped ahead and is working on something completely different, and so it keeps everybody focused on what we're doing. And I and I guess I mean I say this every season, but I mean if if it, if, if you don't like that, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but like this probably isn't the show for you. Yeah. that's the way that we do things. This is your show and your case, and uh, I never I never lose sight of that. Um, Ellen asks, "Do you have plans to speak to the men incarcerated for this crime?" Yes, yes. Uh, I actually have. Um, it's been kind of a pain in the butt to get to get one scheduled. I've been trying to talk to Robert for the last couple of weeks, and we keep jumping. But I, I have scheduled tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow, I'll be talking to him for the first time. Great. And uh, Richard says, and I know this is going to come as a shock to everyone that this is the last question, but since Javier was- <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Before you ask yeah. that, I, I, I have something else <gasps> that I, I got down a rabbit hole Ooh, this week okay. when I was working. And, and I, I have some questions for some people. I need photos. I think I've got it kind of figured out. I post on social media today, but the freaking garage door, man, I'm baffled. So I found some pictures finally that show the mechanisms for the garage door. They don't – it, it does not appear that there was an automatic opener. And, and I, I guess I don't know what I'm asking for. If somebody could take photos for me of if they have a single panel garage door with these types of brackets, what the brackets look like when they're up and when they're down. The pictures aren't great. That you know, the firefighters had cut a hole in the garage door and they took a picture to the left and the picture to the right and you get, and you get the two – brackets they appear to be intact i don't but I, I don't know for sure if they're connected in a different way but man i cannot figure out what is going on with that garage door how it was open when tim looked at it and and that's a big deal because i mean he thinks there's a lot of people that think that the killers might have still been there oh, okay. oh boy and that shut it after he ran back down the road Whoa. 
that would certainly indicate that they, if that's the case, that they escaped on foot. I can't wrap my brain around why someone would take the time to close the garage door if that was the case, but I can't figure out why the garage door is down either. It doesn't, it, it, it's baffling to me. So if you have one of those single panel garage doors, um, it, I guess I'll say this. If you have a single panel garage door and you happen to live somewhere in Southwest Michigan or Northwest Indiana, let me know. Um, I may come visit you because I need to do, I'm trying to find somebody that has one that I can, I can mess with a little bit and try to get an idea of what happened. Cause it's also weird is you can tell from the surroundings that the, there wasn't much heat and, you know, people always think of there's gotta be, there's gotta be flames. It doesn't have to be flames. It has to be heat. Well, it seems like the mechanisms, the springs are down low. You see all kinds of paper and cardboard products on shelves all around there that are not burnt or scorched or anything. Nothing to indicate there'd be enough heat to start stretching steel. So I don't know. Okay. I'm 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 pretty confused about it. That and we'll be working through that as we move along. And also um ask around if you know anybody that worked in Denny's in two thousand six. I'd like to know about the uniform requirements and if if people changed at work. Okay. Those are a couple of great calls to action. I'm sure you're gonna need a lot of people volunteering to do you know, a FaceTime with you if they're not in an area that you can come visit to show you on right. their cameras, like to walk through that. Is that helpful? Will that clog up the works? Yeah, it, yeah. it is helpful. Okay, great. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure you'll get uh, some of those as well. Would you like to, what do you want to do, boss? Now you can ask your last question. <laughs> <laughs> but Zach's is such a, his, his question is so great. I just feel like that should get worked into the end too. Uh, but Richard says, since Javier was telling people that Becky was going on a hike with Rob that night, did the police interview Javier? As a matter of fact, they did. <laughs> yeah, uh, they did interview Javier. Uh, they interviewed him. He actually went up to the crime scene, not the house itself, but up into the neighborhood uh, that day. So I have that interview. You're going to be hearing from this week. This week, you're not going to hear much from me at all because we're going to continue on with this tracking Becky's day. So we're going to hear from, we're going to hear Javier's first interview with police and we're going to hear Robert's first interview with police. And, and for the most part, I'm going to let those play and let you guys hear them, break them, break them down and see what you think. And then we'll just dig into them deeper. You know, I'll, I'll pretty much, because they're so long, I'll be saving most of my commentary for next week's follow up. And then also, Trying to oh, oh, just to give you guys some heads up, uh, we will. Zach and I, our families are going on vacation the first week of April, so we've got this Sunday's episode, next week's follow up, and the next Sunday's episode. Then we're gonna have a week off just to give everybody a little heads up that that's coming. Um, if you want to come see us in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you still got a chance to do that. April sixteenth, go to captainfathands.com/slash events for that. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Janet, thank you so much for joining us. Zach, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, on the YouTube chat for all your great comments. Yep. Thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Mike Bussing and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team. 
Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Season 12, Episode 2, Becky's Day. In this week's episode, we heard from two of Becky's friends and her boss at Denny's who gave us a bit. It slipped. Sorry. <clears throat> so what you what you didn't realize is I dropped my pen in the middle of him talking on the wood table. Oh, did, I didn't hear it at all. Horrible sound. Okay. Yeah, no, you could hear it here for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> I knew it as soon as I did it. I was like, "Oh shit!" Uh.